when you allow your kind of instincts just to take over. And I think the most important way of achieving that is to very, very simply give yourself a strategy, give something for that internal, you know, these internal thoughts and that internal voice to just focus on so that when you have to, you know, play the shot, um, hit the ball, jump, or whatever you, you, you are doing in, within your sport, it becomes a much more natural, um, a much more instinctive exercise. That was Simon Capen, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So uh, I've been utilizing the air bands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into AirBands. SimplyFaster.com also has B-Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro, and this is a new option for velocity-based training. Barbell tracking, it provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As Logan Christopher has put it, we are always mentally training, whether we think we are or not. If we do nothing dedicated to improving the processes and habits related to managing our mind and the link between our mind and body well, we will simply revert to and be trained by the default programming, for better or for worse. <laughs> uh, by focusing on the role of the mind, we can improve our motivation, consistency, our clutch performance, our, our physical abilities, as well as find a greater sense of purpose and enjoyment in each training session. Today's episode features sports psychologist Simon Capen. Simon is a hypnotherapist, a master NLP or neurolinguistic programming practitioner. He's the author of the book, It's Time to Start Winning, and he also previously appeared on episode 198 of this podcast, speaking particularly on the link between body language and mental state in athletics, as well as managing the emotional brain for performance. Simon has worked with numerous athletes to achieve national, international, and world titles, and his philosophy revolves around creating self-belief and then seeing the subsequent change in behaviors and action, and therefore our results. On today's podcast, we'll be picking up a little bit where we left off before. Last podcast, we finished with a small bit on how to stay in the present in the course of training. And on this return, we are going to go at length in how to stay in the present moment in training, in competition. Simon will speak at length on methods to do so, his particular strategies, uh, particularly on engaging the sensory systems of the body, turning off or methods to turn off the judging mind, and how to more easily and readily get into flow states. Simon will be discussing the role of visual focus in sport, linking higher purposes and emotions into our movement and our training, as well as a balanced approach to goal setting that really focuses on strategies and the process and consistency. This was a show that had just tons of valuable practical information that can be helpful on all elements, be it training, competition, power events, team sport, endurance. Simon covers an awful lot, and I really enjoy hearing his perspective on this valuable part of the, the whole or the total package in sports performance. Let's get on to episode 316 with Simon Capen. Simon, it's great to have you back on the show. I know it's, it's been a little while since our last chat, and I wanted to kick this off with, I guess you could call it a warm-up question, but what are your thoughts? And, and people, you know, if you've been spent time in the gym, you see it a lot. What are your thoughts on people on their cell phones between 
training sets in the gym? And what are some ways that they could better spend that time in between sets of exercises and things to improve their result? Yeah. First of all, thank you, Joel, for having me back. I really, really appreciate this. And you're, you're, you're right. If you go to the gym, you see it all the time. You see people scrolling through their phones, looking at social media. I think the, the immediate answer is that wherever you are, be there. And what I mean by that is that we, we all do this. So, you know, we are, you know, with family or friends and our minds are thinking about other things and we're not really present. And we certainly have this in the gym. So, you know, between sets, you're scrolling through your phone, you're looking at social media, what people did last night, funny videos and all of these kinds of things. But essentially, you know, energy flows where focus goes. So be very, very aware of where your focus is. But I think, you know, having a purpose when you're in the gym, you're there for a reason. So it might be, you know, to get fit. It might be to, to lose weight, gain weight for a specific sporting activity. But like I said before, wherever you are, put your heart and soul into it. But there's always this, this other part as well, which is essentially we have what we would call a pain pleasure balance. So we all have this, you know, it is uh, homeostasis. It essentially means that, so it, it comes from a very primitive age when we were hundreds of thousands of years ago, when we had pain, which was hunger. We would then go out and we would then hunt, seek food, eat the hunt, so eat the hunt, eat the food, <laughs> uh, which was then pleasure. So we have this seesaw. So we feel the pain first, and then we eat, and then we get the balance through the through the pleasure. But I think that essentially, you know, when we're in the gym, if we decide to seek pleasure from you know scrolling through social media, it's much more less likely that we will feel motivated to work hard. Because essentially we tip the balance on, onto the pleasure. However, if we decide to go straight into the hard work, you know, feel the pain, then essentially the seesaw goes to the pain side, which means that when we have completed the reps, completed the set, completed the gym session, it's much more likely that you will feel the pleasure from feeling, you know, that, that sense of completion, that sense of satisfaction, pride and fulfillment. So I think that's always worth looking at, you know, and I would say that, you know, before you go into the gym, if you're going to listen to a podcast, if you're going to watch a video that creates a state of determination, then that's a good thing. It's the scrolling through, you know, entertainment that I think we should really avoid. So I think a better way of spending time between each set or whilst you're at the gym is understanding that the set that you have completed First of all, give yourself a pat on the back and say, I did it. But then secondly, say, okay, so now my, my next set, whatever it is I'm going to do next, I am going to feel the friction because essentially I decided to be here. There is benefits of being here. And to make sure that you know, every time I complete a set, every time I complete a rep, just reminding myself that I am creating greater strength, greater power and greater stamina but more than saying it you want to really internalize that really feel it so that between those two sets that time is being spent very very productively so it's not about finishing the set and thinking okay you know what what could i do next you already have something planned which is again it's just like i say just internalizing the fact that each and every set that you you deploy every each and every set that you execute just internalize your creating greater strength stamina power and energy. I think that's a much better way of utilizing that time. As you were talking there, I was thinking about something I just read recently, which was on embodiment and kind of like how a lot of people, the way a lot of people exercise or train almost drives a wedge between them and like kind of, I guess you could say like kind of just feeling their body on a, on a, a like a deeper level, like really going mm -hmm. internal. And I think about like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like very famous for like visualization, visualizing what he wanted the muscle to look like. Yeah. And it, I think a lot of people treat, if we're just even talking about just very, like a very simple form of training, just a bodybuilding set, as opposed to like a complex, you know, football set, you know, offensive set or defensive yeah. set, like things <laughs> like it's weightlifting is pretty simple on, on the out, outside level, but it, I think it offers a deeper level to, to go internal. But I think that takes, a little bit of discipline. 
And I think a lot the way a lot of people train is it's it's a very like the embodiment thing, like they drive a wedge between themselves and really like I think getting like a flow state experience, if that makes sense, out of the training yes, session yes. because they they do things that are maybe maybe the set is outright painful. Maybe you're going to like a difficult I don't know, I could just you could just like a CrossFit workout, something that's very hard. And the whole time you're almost like dissociating yourself from your body just to get through it, you know, <laughs> or yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not, not that you could check your phone necessarily in between those, because at least that's a fast pace enough that you can't. But like the thing where it's like, OK, I'm going to do a few sets of this and then I'm going to go check. Like, it just seems like the embodiment level, the presence level is going to no matter what, it's going to be really low in that frame of mind. You know, it, you're never going to really get that far into it. You, it's like it almost is going to put a ceiling on how many layers deep you can go. Yeah, I, I agree totally. But you, you do see it so often. And I think that, you know, like we said before, is, you know, wherever you are, be there. So, you know, the purpose of being a gym in, in the gym in that moment is to, to, you know, to put all of your time and effort. Like you said just now, it's about being in the present moment. And being present, I think, is probably one of the most underrated. And I say skills because it is a skill. It's something that to begin with is quite difficult because, you know, we live in a society now where so much is trying to grab our attention. So you scroll through the phone and there's different posts and the different ads and all sorts of things screaming for your attention. You know, it's absolutely everywhere. So I think we're used to being distracted very, very easily and very quickly. So it's a good place to, to practice this, to practice being present, to be in the now, because that will, I'm sure we'll talk later about, you know, the flow state. That makes a huge difference because essentially it is a skill. It's something that does need work. It's something which doesn't come particularly natural to us, but the time invested in, in practicing, you know, fundamentally a very, very simple skill is so worthwhile because it's not just about the gym, it's about other areas of your life as well. And of course, you know, if you can be in the moment and put your heart and soul into everything that you're doing in that, in that time, in that company, in that, that, that environment, it just means that over time, you know, your results start to go through the roof in every area of your life. So it's a, it's a really, really important topic, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll really lead into that, the next portion where we talk about flow states. But the, before we get to that specifically, I, I like how you mentioned that, like, you're training yourself basically to stay in the present and just the way, same way you're training your body as you go through the, the physical activity. I think that the ability to not succumb to, oh, well, I'll, let me... Let me just check, you know, this, this social media update. Let me check this text. Like I saw, um, and I could actually post this in the show notes, a recent infographic by a group I really like called After School. And it was on dopamine, maybe a kind of dopamine fasting on a level, but more, it had just a cool visual on what happens when you succumb to those pressures of, you know, checking the notification, checking out of the present moment to escape. And it's almost like the more often you do that, the more often you check your phone, your your stocks, your texts, your social media, the infographic had it where each of those is like a little gremlin. And every time you check it, you get more gremlins and it's actually harder to pull away. So it's no matter what you do, you're always training. I know Logan Christopher, who's been on this show, has said you're always mentally training, <laughs> whether for good or for bad. And so it's like if you're yeah. if you're on your if you're if you're distracting yourself constantly, you're actually training yourself you have more gremlins constantly pulling you. You're actually training yourself to get pulled away to come out of the present moment more easily. And you know, as you said that, it's like, yeah, it's always, you're always training yourself. <laughs> it's just, how are you yeah. training yourself? But you're right. And it's interesting to say about the gremlins because you're right. You know, we've gone social media and we have this kind of need to, to be entertained and to be excited and find something which we find, you know, very pleasurable. And then we, we stay on it and it becomes less and less and less. So then we start to search for more to get the, that same kind of you know, dopamine. And the thing is, is that, you know, dopamine has a way of when you first do something, it's very high. But when you repeat the process, it gets slightly less each time. So what we tend to do is, you know, look for things which are more exciting to kind of experience that same level. The problem is, is that you're absolutely right. We kind of have this seesaw. So, you know, when the, the pleasure is being tipped one way and consistently being tipped, so always looking for that, you know, those good feelings is you're right, is that the pain gremlins are all jumping on to saying we, we need this balance. So as soon as you come off social media, so as soon as you come off your phone or those entertaining, you know, whatever it may be, then, of course, the seesaw then has a huge tilt. So you really feel the pain. And, you know, you, you see this with, with particularly, you know, I'm not just picking on young people here, but, mm -hmm. you know, very young teenagers will be on the phones for you know a, a long period of time 
And when you ask them to get off, it's kind of like there's there's rage, there's anger. It's like, how dare you? I'm searching for something. I'm getting something. And they have these incredible lows. And yes, it's it's a huge challenge I think we have now. But if we can, you know, help people to to kind of you know to get out and take up sports and you know use their bodies and understand what challenge is about and be able to you know take them away from that technology, even if it is you know for a period of time each day, I think that can only be beneficial long term for everybody. And I say young people, but actually it's for everyone, but particularly young people because you know they they're brought up with the with the technology we have today. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have more. More, it's the access is much easier. <laughs> I mean, much I guess it's for everybody. It's like if you have a phone or whatnot. Yeah, but, but I, th- I think we all find our ways. You know, even sometimes for me, it'll be even in working in the morning, nothing to do with technology. Is I'm like, I could use another coffee. You know, I, I need, I, 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 I'm, <laughs> yeah. I work, I'm working hard. I could use another. You know, it's, 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 and yeah. you start to see it kind of happening in in different places and different mediums. And I, it, it can, you know, it, like you say, it doesn't have to be technology. It can be, it can be food. It could be anything, anything at all. If it gives us that kind of, you know, giving us more pleasure, essentially, yeah, Give, giving us more dopamine. I think that's what we're all searching for. But we just need to understand a little bit about how it works. Yeah. So within staying in the present moment. I guess there's no magic formula for this, right? But like when an athlete like goes unconscious or meaning they're, they're just in pure flow state during performance and they don't really remember much or anything about what happened. And I had this happen one time to me in my athletic career. It's almost like this thing where it's kind of special because you can't like, there's no exact, you know, formula to make it happen every time. It happened one time to me when I, I tried to dunk like in a high school basketball game. I had like six or seven misses where I thought about it a lot on the way up to the hoop and, you know, just mentally messed myself up. And then the one time I finally got it, I don't even, didn't even remember it. I remember coming off of the rim and the crowd, you know, screaming, but outside of that, didn't remember. (laughs) And so is anyways, um, what, what is happening when when an athlete, and and, I mean, my story is, is small potatoes compared to, I think a lot of what you could read of all these really interesting mental shifts on on these, these high levels of performance. So what's happening when an athlete kind of goes unconscious during these things, they don't really consciously remember it, or they, they're in a different state of mind. Yeah. So, so you're right. It's that, you know, we call it a flow state or, you know, being in the zone, but I think essentially, you know, there's no internal dialogue, there's no judgments, there's no thoughts. And essentially, we're performing in the moment without any thought about external circumstances or the score, the match, the result, or absolutely anything. And I think it's interesting because I was thinking about this the other day, and a lady said to me, and she was so, she said, it's a bit like, she goes, when I'm, when I'm driving, because if I'm driving in, in a town which I'm unfamiliar with, so I'm always looking you know, at the, um, the navigation to kind of see, see where I need to be. But if I'm in a town which I'm familiar with or on a long road where, you know, I really don't have to think about anything, and I'm not the sort of person to listen to the radio, because really an hour can go just so, so quickly, and I'm not really thinking about anything. And I said, that is really like a flow state. That's really interesting because the interesting thing about this is that I think that we can all access it. And if you think about, you know, driving, you know, you're driving 40, 50 miles an hour along the road and people are coming towards you at exactly the same speed. It doesn't take much to have a collision. And then that's really, that, that could be it. That could be your, your life finished. And interestingly enough, we, you know, people that drive for long distances access, you know, that flow state pretty much every day. But when we talk about sport, is we find it incredibly difficult. We say, well, we can't do it because it means so much because of what the match meant or what the, the result meant or people watching me and all this judgment. And I think, now that's interesting because if we can access it when we're doing something which is potentially life-threatening, <laughs> like driving quite fast, then surely we could access it when we are, you know, when we're playing sport. So if I, if I could skip on a little bit, because most people I work with, if not all people I work with in that job, what we do is that we introduce something which I call a strategy. So a strategy essentially allows them to think less about the consequences, less about the external environment, the match, the score, and puts them in a place where they can just focus on what they're actually doing. And I know that you were saying is that when you are in that state where you can't even remember what happened, you can't even remember quite what, what was happening. But there's a young guy I'm working with at the moment in the UK, and he is a cricketer. So I know cricket isn't a particularly big game in the US. You know, you guys are uh, are baseball, 
which is, you know, faster, more intense, more exciting. That, that's for sure. But over here, you know, cricket is quite a big game, particularly in the summer. And he always said to me, you know, so he's 17 years of age. He said, when I go out to bat, if I make one mistake, that's it. You know, my game's finished. I don't get a second chance. He said, so I'm constantly looking at the score, looking at the bowler, listening to comments from the fielders, got all this stuff going on. So I said to him, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you now. I said, because you have like a, a judgmental internal voice going on. There's something which is telling you at the worst moment possible, all the things that could go wrong. It's telling you, you know, it's, re- it's reminding you of the importance of, of your, your innings. So we can't always keep it quiet, but what we can do is that we can keep it occupied. So what I get him to do is that the very, very simple strategy that we have for him is simply that when he walks out onto, on, onto the pitch, he has his bat, he's by the wickets, and essentially number one is that he watches the ball being passed around by the fielders. He then initiates a relaxed breathing pattern. Now, his relaxed breathing pattern is, um, uh, you may know this, you may not, but it's essentially two breaths in and then one um, extended exhale. Mm. So it's kind of like a big breath in and then a top up and then an extended exhale. Now, that seems to be the fastest way that certainly I've come across where you can decrease stress and anxiety very, very quickly. So he deploy one or two of those. Then as the bowler runs up or starts to run up, he just says to himself just one word, which is focus. As the ball leaves the bowler's hand, he now just, he just watches the ball. That's his full attention. He's just watching the ball. When the ball bounces, he says go, and he allows his natural instinct to just play the shot. Because what he was doing before was he was just playing it too early. So he started to play the shot just before the ball bounced. So it was, he was, his timing was way, way out. But what essentially it allowed him to do was to put all of his attention on a set number of things. So I said to him, I said, OK, so forget the match, forget the score, forget about winning. Could you tell me with complete confidence that you could, you know, watch the ball being passed around by the fielders? Could you initiate the relaxed breathing pattern? Could you watch the, the, the bowl about to take his run and say focus? Could you watch the ball as it leaves his hand? Could you say bounce? And could you allow your natural instincts to just take over? And he said, yeah, I can do all of those things. I said, great. Because if you were to focus on all of those parts, then essentially the result just takes care of itself. Now, what I found is that when I spoke to him recently, and he's been getting sort of 50 or 60 runs most games. And I said to him, what, what is it like when you're doing it? He said, now... He said, actually, when I'm focusing on all of those things, when that ball is struck, because it's instincts, I'm not trying to force it. He said, I can't even remember. I can't remember what shot I played and what maybe played that shot. It was instinct. And it was interesting that it seems that a strategy allows you to access that feeling, that access feeling of being in the zone and having that flow state when you allow your kind of instincts just to take over. And I think the most important way of achieving that is to very, very simply give yourself a strategy, give something for that internal, you know, these internal thoughts and that internal voice to just focus on so that when you have to, you know, play the shots, hit the ball, jump, or whatever you, you, you are doing in, within your sport, it become, becomes a much more natural, a much more instinctive exercise. Yeah, I'm not too sure if that's completely answered your question or not, but it's become something which we've built on. There was another way which we have tested on bringing out this kind of flow state. And essentially what it brings out, what what it works on, and and maybe I'll email this to you because I know that, you know, we don't have huge amounts of time, but maybe I'll email this to you or get something across to you because I'd like you, the guys that are listening to this, I'd really like you to practice this and try it and see how it works. But essentially all you do is that to begin with, it's best to do it sat down. But if you create a nice relaxed breathing pattern, okay, so it could be a four-second inhale and a six-second exhale. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's consistent. Mm. Then if you look straight ahead and use peripheral vision, and peripheral vision just simply means that you find the spot just in front of you, just above your eye line, and just relax your eyes and allow your eye, your, your vision to become you know, very wide and relaxed. And then whilst you maintain that breathing pattern in peripheral vision, then notice any sounds, keep that going for 10 seconds. Notice any tastes, again, 
continue that for 10 seconds and then notice any smells. What that seems to do is that it occupies, it occupies your inner thoughts so that you can then play your sport with an incredible freedom. And we, we tried this a little while ago where there was a tennis player and he said to me, the number of times I can be five, three, five, two, five, three up in, in the deciding set and I'll be 40 love up serving. And I guarantee you before long, it will be five all and juice. He said, I just can't seem to finish the match off. So he was playing in the, in the local, the county championships. And I was going away and I explained this, what we call a know-nothing state. And I said, just practice it. But look, we we work on this when I come back. Saw him a few weeks later and he had the trophy on, uh, on his table. I said, that's remarkable. So what happened? He said, well, I actually used the know-nothing state, which, which we spoke about. And I said, that is absolutely incredible. And he said, to the point... But what I, was, what I was able to do was to, he said, I was, I was playing the shots and there was absolutely nothing going in, the, in my mind to the point that I actually won the championship. And I, I looked at the ball and he said, I was about to, to bounce it to serve again. And the umpires looked at me and said, I just said, game, set, match and championship. It's all over. And he said, I was so programmed to just play the shot. I was, I was just so absorbed. And it comes from a technique in, in NLP, which I said is called the, uh, the know-nothing state. It's not very well known. I don't think there's anything on the internet about it. It's something that I learned a long time ago. And we just brought it in. And it'd be interesting to see how, you know, how people get on with that, because it has been quite remarkable. But we're still at that point where it needs refining. But it would be interesting to see how people got on with that. So, yeah, take that. Go with it. See what happens. But essentially, it's about using all your senses and being just allowing that that kind of, you know, the internal voice, that conscious part of your, your brain to be occupied with, you know, with the vision, with the breathing, with the sights, the sounds, with the smells and the taste. So using all of your senses, keeping it occupied and allowing that, that inner genius, if you like, that unconscious part of you to just take over and do what it does best without that kind of inner criticism, if you like seems to be working incredibly well but but try it and let us know how people get on because i'd be absolutely fascinated quickly i wanted to let you know about the chance to try out performance herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of lost empire herbs flagship products pine pollen for free switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. These include Chiliagit Resin and the Phoenix Formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you. You do pay a few dollars shipping, but you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse. It is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition. It's actually part of the Phoenix formula. And you can get that for free uh, along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think even as you were talking, I, I just had this experience yesterday. And, you know, this is one where, you know, you don't have these every day, but that's what kind of makes them special is I was doing sprints yesterday and i was doing and, and i think everyone listening to, to this as well I, I know there's a lot of like strength coaches maybe track coaches there's probably not quite as many i guess you could say team sport coaches although i wish yeah. there was you know I, I i want everyone to listen to these podcasts you know and I, and I love all of it you know i love i love team sport track strength like it's all it's all connected and i mean these are these principles in my mind are universal but something that a lot of uh, let's just say it's a your strength coach or or a personal trainer listening to this and Speed, just just doing speed training, I believe, can be a strong area for this too. I had an experience yesterday where I'm doing, um, I was doing six 20 meter uh, sprints in a wave like pattern. So sprint one's easy, sprint two is medium, sprint three is fast, and then I restart that. So I go slow, medium, fast, and I like that too. You talk about judgment. To me, that helps the non-judgment because otherwise, if I'm just doing four as fast as I can. Every time it's like, okay, what, you know, oh, I did this last time. I'm going to try harder, you know, and, and that, that striving kind of kills you too. And, and so I like the waves, but the last, the last sprint, 
The very last one, something interesting happened for me. And this was the visual, like you mentioned the senses. And I actually wasn't intending on this, but this was a good session. Like I was very in the moment, even the time between sets. I like the wave too, because you're not, you don't have to rest as long and you start to rest. Your mind like wanders. You do, if you do the easy, you know, the first one's easy. You don't have to rest as long. The medium, you don't have to rest as long. Anyways, I'm kind of getting beside the point here, but the very last sprint, something interesting happened with my vision. Like it was like, as I was approaching, you know, about the five, 10 meter mark of the 20, my vision started to narrow and tunnel and and I don't know why this happened it just did like I remember there was two guys kind of standing at the end of the wall that I was heading towards but it's almost like my brain and body decided to take my field of focus down to this almost this small spot I would say the my typical field of vision dropped down to like a third like a tunnel vision in a fighter jet and I ran um and I ran the best I've ran in I mean years I mean, it was the fastest, it was a 10th faster than all the other sprints of the day. It was 500s faster than the last time I had done it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it was amazing. And so I was just like that, but I'm a visual person too. Like I, I, I'm not, you ask my wife, my sense of smell, you know, she'll smell something in the basement and I'm like, I had no idea. Like it's not very good. And so anyways, that was unique to me that I thought was interesting. And so I'll just say this one to kind of rebound some things you were saying, but then two, you know, in that process of you have the breathing and then the vision and then the noticing sounds, taste, smells. I, I'm kind of curious if that might cater to what someone's strong sense of smell or, you know, or, or visu- are they visually inclined? You know what I'm saying? Like, is yeah, there any nuance to, to digging into people's preferences there? It does. It caters for everything. And something interesting you were saying just now about, um, you know, your, your field of vision. So mental focus follows visual focus. So when we have this, you know, peripheral vision, we naturally become very relaxed. But when we have like a tunnel vision, when it all kind of goes very narrow, you think about it, you know, when we're under threats, we focus on whatever it is that's dangerous in front of us. So, you know, we're designed that when our our focus goes very narrow, then the intensity starts to increase quite dramatically. And I'm wondering there, you know, when you're saying that, you know, you, you ran better than you, you know, I think you said than you've ever ran. And, you know, when you have that kind of very narrow point of focus the intensity you know in in your mind and your body will increase dramatically so yeah i think that kind of might put some um, some kind of you know evidence as to, to to why you felt that but i think that you know i'm not an athletics coach but i know that when i'm working with the sort of long distance runners with the marathon runners you know very often we'll encourage them to have a you know a peripheral vision kind of very wide and and something which is kind of keeps them keeps them relaxed because of course they're running for you know several yeah, hours yeah, at yeah, a time it's relaxed not yeah mine was just a you know a, a under three second burst <laughs> with yeah. any options to the left or right you know it's not like i'm playing a game yeah. you know a team sport game yeah so. yeah completely and I, I think that makes perfect sense is you know when you you know the, the sprinters you know then they need to be you know all power they need to be focused on the that that hundred meter line, that's you know ten seconds and it's all over, or less for some of them. So yeah, it, it that that does make perfect sense. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't planning on that either. That's just what happened, and I just found it interesting. And that yeah, again, yeah. It, it makes if if I was playing basketball and had that tunnel, I would be you know horrible. Like I wouldn't be able to do anything, you know, or <laughs> like even yeah. even distance running. I, I I mean, I think that. It's a very specific nuance, but it kind of goes back to, I, I believe, what I was talking about, embodiment. Like, unless there's, like, a certain level of focus and presence throughout the session, and there's almost, like, even, like, like I like to do things in waves. Like, there's waves throughout the session that keep you in the moment of it, rather than where you start to go in your judgment brain, and it's just you and the clock, yeah. which you can manage, but at the same time, it's it's nice to have other options to help you. I just think that... It's just really interesting, yeah, that, that interplay with the, the senses. And I, I think maybe that's why I was a little better track athlete than basketball. And this, that's why I like doing these, <laughs> these talks, because if I was my strength coach or, you know, or just having a conversation with myself from a sports psychology perspective or my sport coach, like my basketball coach in high school is routinely frustrated with me because he saw how good I could be. But then yeah. I would just like half the time, I was just incredibly inconsistent. And that was always my judgment brain always it was always oh man there's so many people here this is a big game the other team's really athletic like there's all these things that take me out of just enjoying the embodiment of the moment like now i know how to do that with i know how to do it with like track-based stuff very well these days but it's like well how do you take that over into something where well there's more people now you're playing against somebody and and for me personally one of the things it's like a you, know, you could say it's a Taoist or just a universal principle, but non-attachment, you know, the principle of non-attachment, yeah. taking yourself away 
in emotionally or my ego or my identification from the result, you know, and, and yeah, that's been absolutely. something big for me recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, I was coaching a, a guy who he comes from Belgium, actually, and he's playing in the European pool championship, you know, like, like billiards, but, but pool. And he's a, he's a four, five times world champion. And he said, you know, there's a lot of expectation on me. You know, people will watch me. He finished his first match and lost. He said, I'm an absolute mess, he said, because I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, what people, what others, you know, what their expectations. And we went through a strategy again, which was kind of like a five-step strategy. I won't go through that one now, but we had a five-step strategy. And I said to him, every time you go to the table, you know, your job is to execute those five points. Like your job isn't to win. Your job isn't even to pop the ball. It's not to pop the ball. It's not to win the game. It's not to win the tournament. Your your job is to execute the strategy. And because if you execute the strategy every single time you go to the table, it means that you're going to pot an awful lot more than you miss. And that allows you to be at your very best. And if you're at your very best, then really winning the tournament is something which will almost certainly happen. So we just kind of, again, like took it away from the result and put his focus onto something which was fundamentally very, very easy, something which he was absolutely certain that he could deploy. I mean, I said to him, you 100% certain that you could execute each one of those five, five parts of the, the strategy? And he said, absolutely. I said, in which case you go into the tournament with 100% confidence because that's your job. See, when we, we put our focus on the result, we never know who's going to turn up. You, you could have an unbelievable run and break the world record and still come second because the guy that beat you beat <laughs> beat the previous world record by more than you did. So, you know, we can all have this, this idea about, you know, result focus. And we need to know what we want. Obviously, we need to know that. But I think what's more important is once we know what we want, then we need to put a plan in place, like a journey as how to actually reach that. And I think that, you know, having that ability to just put together a strategy, something really, really simple, not too many steps to it, so that we can put our mind towards the single steps of the strategy, then it allows us to focus on something without kind of the, you know, the, like the judgment or the concerns of other people, and most importantly, the result. Because if we play our best, we give ourselves the best possible chance of a desirable result. Yeah, I think you know, back to like the social media thing too, I think today it's almost more important to get well-versed and good at that ability to detach yourself from from judgment or expectations just because it's almost 10x now you know it's like yeah it is like if you got dunked on by somebody you know it's everybody get people got on their phone it's a highlight on the (laughs) internet you know i mean it used to not necessarily be like that or even you know too like just people seeking validation i mean i seek it all the time you know how many likes did my post get or whatever i'm not absolved from that in any way but i just think nowadays it's it's even more important to be able to get into that state I think so too. You know, going with, I was, I'm working with a, um, a lady at the moment. Well, we've been working a little while actually. And again, she's a marathon runner. Um, something that's worked well for her, because we were talking about, you know, again, you know, ideas of, you know, making sure that, you know, her mind was, was on her run. He said, look, she said, I'm running for, you know, two, two hours, 40 minutes. So it's, it's really quite difficult to stay focused for that period of time. So what we did now, she also likes tennis. She doesn't play much tennis, but she likes tennis. So I said, okay, so what we do, is that um, we will look at you know each mile as a game, and after six games that's a set. So essentially you have a four set match, and the last you know mile and a bit, two miles allows you then to say okay, I've got two miles left. Now I can really really push hard. So you know she run to she will have a target time for each mile. So you know let let's just say that I mean this wouldn't be her target time. She'd be faster than this, but say her target time was say say ten minutes. Then what we would do is that we'd say, okay, there's your target time for mile one, 10 minutes. Once that's complete, it's that set, that's game one over. Get on with game two, first set. And we will continue this because even though she's a very, very competent runner, she's an excellent runner. She'd say to me, you know, sometimes four miles into a marathon and I feel the slightest bit of fatigue. I then start to concern myself and think, well, I haven't even hardly started. I've got 22 miles to go and I'm already hurting. And I just amplify that and Mm. make it stronger. But by having a focus on there's my first game, finished, second game, finished, all the way to six games, that's first set out. Mm. Okay, first game, second set. And it just works incredibly well. And those times when she even, she said to me, you know, even let me halfway through, I start to doubt myself if I can stay focused just for those few, for maybe sort of six or seven minutes. Then she'd make a deal with herself and say, okay, can I stay focused for three? Absolutely. So she would stay focused for three. And once that three minutes was up, very often she'd be back into the zone again. 
But if she wasn't, it was fine. She could then just say exactly the same question again, just stay focused for three more minutes. But it's just using these little tricks to make sure that she was, you know, able to occupy, I say, occupy that judgmental voice so that she could allow her, her inner genius, if you like, this unconscious part, this part which, which you know, essentially controls the body to just do what it does best, which is to allow her to perform to her best. But it was just an interesting strategy. And, you know, you may just have people that find that quite, quite, quite interesting. Yeah, I like that a lot. I Something that I like to do a lot in the gym is well, long isometric holds. And I think they're interesting on a lot of levels for individuals. And one of the hardest of all the holds is just hanging from a bar. So just hanging from a pull-up bar because you can't, like, you can't wiggle out of it. Like, if I'm doing a lunge hold, I can kind of, or a plank, a plank, I think very well known, you can shift your body subtly and put the stress on a different muscle. But if you're hanging from a bar, you really can't, you can't wiggle out of it. It's literally just you and fatigue. And you're, yeah. and as soon, if you, and I noticed two days where if I'm doing it and it's a day where maybe I've been a little more stressed out, the fatigue will come earlier. And then it's a negative cycle because it's yeah. like, like for the exact same reasons you were saying, you know, you're on mile four and oh, this already hurts and I got 22 to go. And, and instead, like, well, if you could frame it as, okay, yeah, like, okay, I'm doing this hang and I want to be up here two minutes. All right. The first quarter, you know, second quarter, third quarter. I remember, uh, I, I probably would butcher this, but I think David Goggins, the well-known endurance athlete and former Navy SEAL, like it was something yeah. to do, like, like count down from 10 and well, you didn't die, so count down from 10 again or something like that. Uh, I'll have to see. I'll have to get that exactly. I don't want to butcher it, but I, I, I think that's a, it's, it's really interesting to start chunking it, you know, instead of just yeah. making it one big, long thing. Absolutely. And he's such a good example, isn't he? He's such a phenomenal example of somebody who, you know, not got off the subject, but, you know, he, he, you look at him and think, has the guy got any fear whatsoever? And I did read, actually, they had a, he had a fear of sharks. <laughs> so there was, I, I think he was at Stanford. I can't remember. It's one of the universities there. And essentially, they said, okay, we're going to expose you to your biggest fear. We're not going to put you with the sharks. But we're going to put a, a shield on so that, you know, you're going to have the whole experience. And he said he just could not wait to get it on. So essentially, instead of, and I think he said, look, it's not that I'm fearless. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that I create courage and attack the fear. Because if I keep attacking it, eventually my mind will say, okay, that's not actually as scary as I thought it was. Because if I continually attack it and I come out, like you say, I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. It couldn't have been that bad. Uh, but I, I just love the guy's attitude. Absolutely. Just superhuman. But I love him to bits. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and find the the, the 10 second thing. But that's I that would that, be really interesting. Yeah, that that fits with I believe in Stephen Kotler's book and his his latest book. And I did a podcast with him talking about it. But he had mentioned there that you think all these elite like superhuman type athletes, like the big wave riders, the extreme sport athletes, that you you think that they don't have fear, but they do. They just yeah. process it differently than the average person. And it's, it's interesting. We're all human. We all have these. It's just how are these beliefs or fears or thoughts? It's just how are you going to go deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like you say, we do. You know, I think that most people, we're talking about that, that flow state. And I think, you know, many people um, come to the conclusion that it's some kind of, you know, God-given talent to, you know, the very, very few. But the reality is I always look at everything and say, okay, if one person can do it, then surely other people can do it. Whether that's true or not, that's the belief I have. And that's what helps me to kind of, you know, pursue what it is that they're doing. And very often they don't even know what they're doing. But if you can, you know, dig deep enough and ask the right questions, it's amazing what you can uncover. And, yeah, I, I find that, um, you know, when you're talking about, you know, fear and, um, and, and, and pushing through, again, you know, going back to the, this particular lady who was a marathon runner, and she said to me, there is one particular lady. So she, she was, so her goal was to represent England in the over 40s category she said there's one particular girl who she said she's kind of like my arch rival and she goes as soon as i see her my my heart stops Mm -hmm. and my my stomach tightens i said okay okay and she goes and the worst thing is we'll have maybe you know a mile or two to go and she's just in front of me i'm thinking okay you could go now i could go now but this is going to be absolutely dreadful so i said to her i said how about instead of retreating how about attacking and she goes okay how would i do that I said, okay, now I knew that she had a nine-year-old daughter who was, you know, the love of her life. That I want you to imagine, okay, that um, you're not racing this girl, but, you know, two miles ahead, you know, your daughter, she's, she's at home and uh, she's indoors and she could be in immediate danger. You've got to get there as quick as you can. 
Now, are you going to be nervous about the girl in front of you now? Or are you going to make your way there and beat everybody? She goes, not only will I beat her, but I'll smash the door in. I'll make sure I grab my daughter. I said, exactly. Now, internalize that. How does that feel? Where's that determination? You know, where is it in your body? Where is it in your mind? And she created this so many times that she could just turn it on, you know, in a flick of a switch. So that when she had, you know, a couple of miles to go and she was with this, this girl, she would just imagine. And you're thinking, okay, it's a bit harsh thinking about your daughter's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, two miles away in immediate danger. But the reality is it was what she became. It was internalized. So instead of worrying about the result and someone beating her and what the consequences were, she just, she just switched on. So she was able to, to kind of create a perception, if you like, which she then projected out on the external, uh, external event. So instead of the external event having an effect on her, she had an effect on the external event, if that kind of makes sense. But it was just a different way of looking at things. And my goodness, it worked amazingly well. And it's something she uses a lot. So yeah, it's another way of looking at, you know, attacking the fear. Yeah. One interesting, you know, as you go through that, I was thinking about uh, with the with the long ISO holds, a uh, guy that kind of brought them into popularity or invented them. I guess isometrics have always been around, but in the way that he's uh, created them, Jay Schrader talked has talked about or uh, through talking to other people who have studied him, like connecting the movement or the training or the something difficult with the higher emotion and the highest emotion is uh, things that have to do with love. And so yeah. it's like thinking about sometimes when I've and I've been in a situation personally, actually, where I, uh, my wife and I had to like kind of help. Uh, it was in Hawaii with really big waves and someone got washed out and we were trying to like pull them back with our boogie boards. But it was dangerous because there's like big waves and rocks and they, it, we were fighting it the whole time. But it's like, it's amazing when you're trying to pull someone in, like just how energy, you're, you're not thinking about how tired you are. Like, oh, it's, you are in a 100% different state of mind. It is. And, the, and I was thinking the output, I mean, I'm not a great swimmer either, but like just the output that I did compared to, it's like, all right, Joel, just go as hard as you can. I mean, it's not even close um, once you have that higher sense of purpose. And, you know, it makes me think even too about, I, I've thought that about that in like isometric holds. Like if I had to like be hanging on to like this bar, like I was hanging on to a rope to like keep my children from falling or something, you know, yeah. you yeah. tie that in. It's like your body is capable of of these higher states and abilities when you can tie it to something that's really important and really meaningful to yeah. you. And and the very last thing I'll say is that as you were talking about that too, it makes me, uh, it takes me back to a talk I had with uh, Nick Winkleman, who's really into motor learning and language. And the idea of just how important it is to get to know your client, the athletes, and what they're interested in, what drives them, what are they, what's important to them. And he was talking about it from the context of how to cue them. Like, hey, what are you guys, what movies are you in? You know, what TV shows are you into? Like what, you know, what music yeah. are you into? And then you're using those connections to, to help um, your cueing language. But also, like you were saying, like just things that are important to the person in their life. Like Tommy John, who's been on this podcast, just the first thing, why are you here? You know, what is your purpose? And, and using that to to allow to create these these feelings, these greater feelings that can really drive you. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's really interesting, actually. I, I like that concept. That was really good. Because I think purpose is, you know, kind of one of those things that we we often underestimate, you know, purpose. So if you have a goal, so most people will have a goal and then they will work out how they're going to achieve it. But the problem is if your goal's big enough and it wants to be big, so, you know, you know, people look at goals and say, oh, OK, you know, I won't take on the really big goal because, you know, and I said, well, what, what stops you? And they would say, well, you know, because there's there's going to be failure. There could be, you know, I, I, I could be humiliated. I know that it's going to be really, really tough. I know that I'm going to fail on many, many occasions. So I said, OK, stop there, stop there. I said, look, whatever you do in life, one thing you can guarantee is that you will fail. I guarantee you will be judged. I will absolutely guarantee you that you will go through immense difficulty. So if you're going to go through all of those things anyway, then why not experience them on the pursuit of your big goal? I mean, it makes it just doesn't make any sense to me not to go for it. But I think the one component that most people forget, or not forget, but but don't, or underestimate rather, is purpose. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you, you have your goal, know what it is you want, but before you actually put the journey together, have that purpose. But I think the purpose comes in sort of, you know, many different forms. I think it was Tony Robbins who was saying, you know, we all have these these human needs, which are, you know, contribution, which is significance, you know, certainty, growth, love, connection and uncertainty. And I think that is that is fundamentally true. So I know that, you know, when I when I've put, you know, goals together for people, 
and you know we spoke about the purpose and essentially why they are taking that goal on you know we will look at things like create some certainty in this goal and the certainty could be nothing more than the fact that you promise that you know you will turn up for training when you need to you will put your heart and soul into it you won't put you won't watch your look at your phone between sets and then you know also including things like um, you know contribution so contributions very very underrated you know we all like contribution because if we achieve something like we like to tell people we like to put on facebook social media mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's not because we're bragging it's just because we want people to to know and that that's important so have some contribution you know how is it going to contribute other people so maybe you know if i if i become you know the best in the country or best in europe best in the world how does that have an effect on other team people sorry other other people in, in my club how will it have a positive effect on people in my family you know my friends and then having significance as well so you know we all have ego so you know make sure that you put something on there within your goal about about the significance so it's you know how will people perceive you what opportunities will it get will it give you you know how proud will you feel i think all of these things are really really important in regards to you know goal setting and purpose so i think you know purpose essentially is the fuel it 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 takes you from you know the original concept that's what i want before you hit the journey then you have a purpose because like we we're saying if the purpose is strong enough like like you, you know, when you say you're in the water, you weren't a strong swimmer. But what you were able to do is kind of, you know, access something which probably, you know, is, is very, very difficult to, to consciously create. But it's so important. It's life and death situation that nothing's going to stop you from saving this person. Absolutely nothing. And you go in where it hurts, where it's dangerous, but you don't see it. All you see is that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save this person. And I think that, you know, that's a strong purpose. It doesn't get any stronger than that. I think, you know, when we can identify those those elements and bring them into a goal setting exercise, then it can take us to places where perhaps we once only dreamt of. But I think, you know, purpose is very underrated, but incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah. Speaking of, I mentioned Tommy John, a conversation I had with him a few years ago, he had talked about that massive sense of purpose. Uh, one of his links to it was looking at like when Alex Honnold climbed El Capitan with the free solo and, and with without any climbing gear, like this sheer yeah, rock wow. where you could see it. Yeah. You could see in your visual this this sense of massive obstacle that links to the sense of purpose. And it's I think to, to be able to put that into words for people is not always easy. You know, to be able to to get people to really feel, wow, what is this what is the magnitude of the sense of purpose that will take me towards my goal? You know, I, I think it's it's easier said than done. But, uh, you know, it's absolutely that's, yeah, that's why we're having this conversation today, you know, kind of helping yeah. to understand that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think that's that's incredible. Like you say, you know, sometimes the, the, the picture speaks a thousand words. You can try and put language in, into something to kind of, you know, get the message across. And sometimes you just got to you know just show people and say, look at this, because that gives you an idea of kind of where I'm coming from. So I think, you know, those experiences and that there's there's a good there's a good time to have social media, mm-hmm. good time to, yeah. to have, you know, um, you know, YouTube and all of those things. So, you know, I, I said to begin with about spending time away from the technology, but it still comes in handy. Let's let's be you know perfectly honest is that, you know, when I work with people and, you know, to, to get them to kind of really put themselves in a place where they can, um, you know, get under the skin of the, the, the great athletes, you know, the people that I admire the most. And I was, I was saying, strange enough, actually, I was talking to a guy the other day and he's actually a 400 meter hurdler. But he's he said, I used to love watching Carl Lewis. So Carl Lewis, for me, was like the greatest of the greatest. Absolutely unbelievable. He said, you know, so people talk about Usain Bolt. Amazing, he said, but I just found Carl Lewis the most incredible athlete. And so he was looking on YouTube and just watching. So he was watching Carl Lewis, you know, compete, train, interview, all of these things. And he would just watch it without any any judgment at all. He would just watch it and he said what's really interesting is that when i watch carl lewis for 20 or 30 minutes i come away from that that video and he said and just for just when i'm on the track just when i'm just warming up just when i'm getting ready i feel like carl lewis is with me so i feel <laughs> i feel like i have a bit of carl lewis in me and he said and honestly that makes such a difference and it was just it was just the fact that i you know like i said is that it's not all bad you know we can use the these medias for a really, really good intention. I think you just have to be very careful as to kind of how we use them, for what duration, what we use them for. Mm. And just remember that, you know, our, our dopamine levels are very dependent on this pleasure-pain balance 
there, there's a great book, and I'm not too sure I can mention books, but it's called Dopamine Nation. Okay. And I cannot remember the author. She's a doctor. Uh, I can't remember. But she, it's an amazing book. It really, really is. It's quite long, but it's worth a read. And it just kind of explains, you know, the how dopamine works in our system. And I think it's really, really important that, you know, we, we all learn something because I think, you know, the longevity um, of our lives and our careers, um, I think, are all very much dependent upon it. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you you said that. Just, uh, with um, I mean, like it's not always bad to have like people watching. I mean, I, that's a good thing. I, you know, as you were talking, because before it's like you know, I was talking about you know, social media constant pressure, and I think it's really the constant <laughs> yeah. pressure for validation over and over again yeah. that is the real danger. But I I think about. It's funny. Back when I was like in my teens, it was like, oh, you'd read the 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 Men's Health magazine, or oh, this is what the plan this Hollywood movie star used to get jacked for this movie, and it's like. The older I get, the more I'm like, you know what, if I was going to be on the big screen and like, you know, I'm showing my physique to, to the world, like that in itself is the one of the most motivating possible events that will pull you like none other. I mean, it's, I, I, and no one talks about that in any of those plants, you know, no, like. No, absolutely. Absolutely. When you really have to do something yeah. when you're kind of, you know, against it and you know that you've. It's yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, actually, you know, we, you know, we, I knew we had our podcast today. I knew it was really, really important. I mean, I, I just love, I love our chats. I love your podcast. I think it's an amazing show you put on. It's absolutely phenomenal. So it means a lot to me, you know, to be invited here. And I, I'm putting some, um, some ideas together. I mean, basically, before Tuesday next week, I've got to write and record 18 videos and write a small book. You know, and I'm looking at that, thinking, oh my goodness me. But inside, I absolutely know it will happen. It will happen because it has to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's as simple yeah. as that. It absolutely <laughs> has to happen. There's there's no ifs, buts or coulds or excuses or anything. That's got to be on the desk. And so I know I will do it. I know it's going to be difficult. But because, you know, I'm a little bit older and perhaps a little bit wiser now and I have a few tricks, it actually, I, I just use that to excite me because, you know, that intensity, that intensity that we feel and we could use the label and say, oh, that's pressure. Or we could use it and say, no, no, that's not pressure. That's excitement. Because I know that, you know, when, when I've completed it all, when I close that book and I send it all off, I'm going to feel so, so proud. As long as, long as the, the work is up to scratch and it absolutely has to be, that's non-negotiable, but I know it will be. But to finish that at that point and just say, well done, give yourself a big pat on the back, is just pure gold. And I think that comes from the fact that, you know, my work like yours, our job is to create benefit for as many people as humanly possible. That's our task. That's what we do. That's what we do this for. We don't do it because it, it's it's more than a job, much, much more than a job. It's the fact that it has a, a huge benefit to a, you know, a global audience. And again, you know, social media gives us the opportunity to do that. Because once upon a time, that would be much more difficult. So I think that, you know, essentially, when you have contribution to a, to a bigger audience, that can make a huge difference. Exactly like you're saying, you know, if you are going to be um, put yourself out to a global audience, then you want to make sure that, um, you know, you're at your best. There is there is not a bigger purpose or motivation to achieve it than that. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's it's the greater good in the sense that I think you could look at it. OK, the Hollywood movie star, it's oh, it's egotistical on my part. I want to look good. But in reality, it's you are making that character, that archetype come to life even to a greater level. Like we all benefit by the fact that you were in crazy good shape. I mean, what would the movie 300 have been like if those guys weren't in his? You know what I'm saying? Like it just yeah, makes absolutely. it better for everybody. And, and I think it's just it's a it's like a connective thing, I think. So it's yeah. not just, it's not like it's just me and, oh, I'm just so craving validation. And I mean, maybe a little bit, we all do, right? But like, it's, it's yeah, definitely absolutely. more than that. Yeah, we all, we all have an ego. We all have an ego. That's, that's absolutely fine. I think when you can channel it so it has a contribution to other people, then I think that's great. I mean, if, if you are, you know, just getting in shape so you can stand on the beach and everyone look at you, that's slightly different. But, you know, if you are doing it for, for, for a purpose of other people, whether that's entertainment or however it may be, then I think that, that that's perfectly okay. Of course it is. It's contribution. But, you know, we all have egos. And I, I think that, you know, the ones that say I have no ego are um, are lying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's almost a, could be a projection sometimes or a, 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 some of the shadow maybe that's unseen or something like that. Yeah. I've become yeah. very mindful of that myself. Um, <laughs> so last, uh, okay, last question, just because you did mention goal setting. I do want to get into goal setting. So I figure yeah. at least one of my goal setting questions would be would be good to just kind of finish this off. But uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. This, this is something I think about a lot, uh, Simon, is, I mean, everyone says like, have goals, have goals. Yeah. But sometimes I think that it's really 
easy to become overly attached to a goal. Or I've been part of like college track environments and swimming environments where the people's goals were just so insane. And and often they just never got accomplished. And I get it with SMART goals. It's attainable. A lot of times people yeah. think their goal is attainable. I, I don't know. I'm just curious, like your thought on that fine, the finer points of, of, of goals in the terms of a process goal and an outcome goal. And what are some practical, um, just some, some good practical ideas where that comes with that? Yeah, it, it's a great, great question. And I think, you know, to begin with, you know, we talk about, you know, process goals. I think to begin with, you know, we, we absolutely, what's, what's really important is that, you know, we, like we said, we need a, a big goal. We need something to, to kind of get some excitement. The goal doesn't excite you. It's probably not worth having. So, you know, have, have a big goal. But I think the, the next part of it is that I have what I call, you know, monthly standards and weekly and daily tasks. So it's probably an easier way of, of explaining to this in a, in, a, in a real life situation. So there was uh, an athlete local to me who simply wanted to become the best 800 meter runner in his club. And he wanted to achieve this in a six month period. So what we did, we worked with his coach and said, OK, you know, if we were to kind of look at you know, six months and say, where does he need to be on each of those months in terms of time, time that he's, he's completed for the 800? You know, where would he need to be? So the, the months um, become what we call checkpoints. So each and every month there's a checkpoint. So it can be measured because you need to measure it. You need mm. to know where you are. There's, there's no point in going in blind. Mm. But then at the, the end of each month, we put together the weekly tasks. So the weekly task included, you know, his training schedules, conditioning, a bit of mindset training with me. We knew how much time had to be dedicated each week to all of those different components. And then on a Sunday, he would look at the daily tasks for the week. So he knew what the schedule was for the week in terms of how much time he had to spend on each one of those components. And then he would um, place it in the diary. So, you know, Monday it would be training at 6 to 7.30. He'd have a 30-minute mindset training, conditioning on a Tuesday, how, however it would work out. And we did that because, you know, life kind of gets in the way. You know, you can't always have something where you look and say, okay, the next three months are planned out every single day because it just doesn't work that way because of injuries and all sorts of other things. But I think that having a big goal and then having what I call monthly standards weekly and daily tasks so yeah looking at you know the the month ahead and looking okay for those four weeks i need to accomplish x amount of training sessions conditioning sessions working with with, with me and then looking at it at the beginning so sunday night he, he would look at them and say these are my daily tasks for the week so he had it all mapped out because that way he was it was more like a process goal so it's about him and not so much, you know. So, yeah, he wanted to um, become the fastest 800-meter runner in a six-month period, which, which he did quite quite easily, actually. But the reality was is that he was able to channel his focus onto the process, onto his performance, on to him, rather than having this big goal, which was going to take, you know, six months. You know, every single day he's thinking about being the fastest. I'm a long way from that. Because if you're a long way off of it, and you probably will be if it's a, if it's a big enough goal, then it becomes really, really quite difficult and you can lose enthusiasm very, very quickly. Whereas if you just focused on that daily task and it just kind of keeps you in the moment. So I think that that seems to have worked out really well, but it's, it's always evolving. That's where we are right now with, with, uh, with goal setting. But, you know, you're right. And I think the other thing with the goal setting is as well, you know, having the purpose, like, you know, looking at the, what, what it's going to achieve. Think about the levels of certainty you, you could you can have with that. So the levels of certainty for him were I will train the days that we say. You know, the, the contribution was that when I become the best in the club, that's going to have a knock-on effect to the other younger runners coming up through. It was about, you know, uh, significance for him because it meant that, um, you know, he was going to, he knew that he'd set a target and knew that he achieved it. It was going to feel good. And the, as I say, the certainty was more about, the fact that he made a promise that he would turn up for the training sessions that were scheduled, that was non-negotiable. So he kind of used those components for, you know, purpose to achieve the goal with that little goal setting you know, schedule as well. And it, and it seemed to work incredibly well. Yeah. I, the, the visual that came to my head as you were talking about that, it's almost like, you know, just the typical, I shouldn't say typical, but like the goal setting we often think of, okay, I, I high jump seven feet, I want to high jump seven too. It's kind of like, that's just very linear very black and white and there's no nothing none of the complexity is really addressed it's kind of like all right you're on a i don't know a, you know a golf course and the holes 
you know, 300 yards, it's like, well, we'll get a hole in one. It's like, well, no, it's like, what about all the little processes and all the other shots I'm going to have to have to get it up there? You know, like if I just try to do a hole in one every time, I'm just going to frustrate myself. And so it's like, you got to break it down into these smaller and more process oriented um, elements that have more complexity to like, and and consistency, you know, that you can be consistent with to build momentum. Absolutely. Consistency, I think is, is the main word. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, oh, awesome. Yeah, and also, yeah, the last thing I'll just mention is I, I, I do like the SMART goals idea, you know, specific, measurable. I was just like, because in my head, I was like, right, what are they again? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time, probably. But it's yeah. like, that's great, but it doesn't really get into the process. You know, it doesn't get into no, the doesn't. steps in, it, along it the way or anything like that. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I like to get a little bit deeper into it because, you know, simple, specific, meaningful, measurable, achievable, all of those things. Absolutely. No question. No question. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, sports and like you say, you know, sometimes to make the, the smallest, the, the smallest growth actually sometimes requires so much detail to actually, you know, reach, like you say, you know, jumping, you know, a, a couple of extra inches may not sound, it just sounds like you need more motivation or a bit more strength or, you know, a different attitude. But the reality is, you know, sometimes you've got to break things down so that, you know, your, your technique is essentially got to change at some level but certainly the mindset as well but i think you know we very often forget that and just think that if we have a big enough goal somehow miraculously you know we can achieve them i think that's really where mindset coaches and performance coaches and all of those things i think sometimes you know they all need to work together a little bit closer very often it's all a bit kind of you know i do my bit you do your bit Mm -hmm. but i think that you know when we can all work together i think essentially that that actually makes so much more sense because you know we can put something together where we're we're complementing each other, we're working with each other and essentially, you know, getting the result for the, the athlete that we're working for. Yeah, it's it really, all, yeah, with all this stuff, just the need for integration is is so important and that definitely yeah. can't be understated. I think we're just about out of time today. I, I like, I had a whole nother batch of questions, but I'll save them for <laughs> another round. I'll just put a little strike. Oh, I would love that. We'll save them for, thank you so much. Save them for the next time. So yeah, thank you so much, Simon. Really appreciate you taking the time and being on the show. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate y'all being here. If you want to help us out, you can leave us a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening to, Spotify, iTunes. We totally appreciate that. We'll see y'all next week with another great guest.